0: Aren't you glad that we serve a risen Savior today? Amen. Happy Easter to all of you. It is so good to be able to be here and to greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What a wonderful day to come together and celebrate our risen, resurrected Savior. So good to see all of you here and what a blessing it is to have uh, Charlie and Jane Sams with us today and I know that you've expressed your love and your appreciation to them as you've been able to greet them. But would you just do it one more time with me? Let's give them a round of applause as appreciation for their ministry. And Brother Charlie, I just look all around here and I see the fruit of your labor. And we're just so thankful, so thankful for God's blessings upon you and and Starnes Cove throughout these wonderful years of ministry. Well, this morning I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn with me into the New Testament to the book of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 And I want to bring a message that I am going to entitle, What a Difference Easter Makes. What a Difference Easter Makes. Aren't you glad Easter makes a difference? (laughs) You know, uh, there was a Christian and a Muslim who had engaged one another in conversation about what they believed. And uh, the Christian... Uh, and the Muslim both agreed on some things. They said, uh, we believe that God has expressed himself in three ways. In, in creation, in a book, and in a man. And they began to talk about that. And for them, they both agreed that God uh, expresses himself in his creation all around us. And we look and, and we see that. And uh, then they talked about how God revealed himself in a book. And the Muslim believed that book to be the Koran. And of course, the Christians believed that book to believe the Bible. But then things get even more different here, where that although both believe that God has expressed himself in a person, the Muslims believe that that person is Mohammed and the Christian believes, of course, that that person is Jesus Christ. And so the Christian responded and said, we believe that Jesus Christ is able to substantiate his claims because he arose from the dead. And with that, the Muslim hesitated and his eyes fell to the ground, and he said, we have no information concerning our prophet after his death. Well, I'm glad this morning we have some information about Jesus after his death. Amen? And we're going to read some of that information today that is contained in Matthew chapter 28 in verses 1 through 10. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn... Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there. They will see me. May God bless the reading of His Word this morning. Many of you have already heard a sermon on this Easter Sunday morning. That was true if you came to the sunrise service. I heard a lot of good comments about Brother William's message that he brought there today. Many of you have heard a Sunday school lesson. Uh, on the resurrection uh, earlier this morning. And now you're about to hear another message about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrate the resurrection today on Easter Sunday, but in reality, as Christians, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every Sunday, every Lord's Day. In fact, that's why we worship on Sunday, as the early Christians began to do, they had a pattern of meeting on the first day of the week on Sunday in honor of the resurrection of Jesus. And so that is our pattern today. So when we come together as the people of God on Easter Sunday, but on the, all the, all the 52 Sundays of the year, when we come together, we are celebrating the resurrection Of Jesus. Now you've heard many sermons undoubtedly on the resurrection of Jesus. You've thought about this subject extensively as we should. But what I want us to do for the next few minutes this morning is to think upon this subject. What difference does it make in our lives? What difference is it going to make to you tomorrow morning when you get up to know that Jesus is alive. What difference does Easter make practically in the ways that we live life in the 21st century? I want us to think about this today and from this passage of Scripture and in this message, I want us to see four very practical applications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's look at them this morning. First of all, Because the tomb is empty, your life can be full. Okay? Because the tomb is empty, your life can be full. Inside of every human being, there is a God-shaped hole. There is a vacuum, there is a void inside of every human being that only God Himself can fill. And we see people today who are trying to fill that void in their life in all kinds of various ways. Things they seek to believe. Things they do. Things that they try to acquire and possess all in an effort to fill that void that is in their life. But listen... Anything that you put in that void, it's still, your life is still going to be empty until you allow Jesus Christ to have His rightful place in your life. And I'm glad that because the tomb is empty, your life can be full. Jesus wants to come into your life. And He wants to make a difference in your life presently, right now. He wants to make a difference. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Hey, Jesus doesn't just want you to live. Jesus wants you to live abundantly. He wants you to live in a relationship with Him. He wants you to know the peace and the joy and the fulfillment that can only come from being in a relationship with God. And so because Jesus is not in a tomb and He is resurrected, your life can be full and that affects us presently. But it also affects us in the future. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, the apostle Paul says that just as God raised up His Son Jesus, He will also raise us up. And the fact that Jesus has been resurrected is proof positive that when death comes for us and when we lay these bodies down, one day we will take these bodies back up again in glorious resurrection as Jesus did. And so that means when we think about the future, we don't have to be afraid of the future. We don't have to worry about death and what it's going to be like. Jesus has taken the sting out of death. Jesus has taken the gloom out of the grave. Jesus has stepped into the icy chilly waters of death and He turns around and He says to you and me, come on in, the water's just fine. It's going to be alright. Jesus has gone there first. And so, our present lives, our future lives, they can be full because the tomb is empty. But then the second practical application of the resurrection is this. Because Satan is defeated, you can live in victory. I want to tell you that Satan was indeed defeated when Jesus died on the cross and rose again. In John chapter 10, Jesus said it this way in verses 17 and 18 as he anticipated going to the cross and dying. Jesus says, therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Now when Jesus died on the cross and he breathed his last breath and he said it is finished and Father into your hands I commend my spirit. When Jesus breathed his last on the cross and he died, Satan must have thought that he won a tremendous victory. I believe that that in hell that Lucifer was laughing, that demons were dancing. I believe that in hell they were throwing a party. Because Jesus, the Son of God, had been put to death. Jesus died there on Calvary's cross. He breathed His last, so they thought. And so in hell they're throwing a party over the fact that Jesus died, but praise the Lord on the third day, Jesus crashed their party. Amen. Amen. Jesus came forth victoriously over death, hell, and the grave. And the resurrection power of Jesus, it's not just something that happened in Him, but it is something that we can appropriate for ourselves. I was reading and studying not long ago, in the book of Ephesians, in the first chapter, verses 18 through 20, where the Apostle Paul teaches that we can live the Christian life in the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead. Now let me ask you this question. Are you living your life in the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus? If we are, there are some words that we ought to eliminate from our Christian dictionary. We ought to eliminate the words can't, quit, and compromise. We ought to get rid of all of them from our dictionary. In fact, just go to your dictionary and cut them out. They're all on the same page. They're spelled with a letter K. Can't, quit, and compromise. Just, you, some of you will get that about lunchtime, but, but <laughs> nonetheless there are some things that we can do now that we couldn't do before. We can live in victory. We can say no to the temptations that come our way. We can fulfill God's plan and His will for our lives. We can be successful in living the Christian life, in running the Christian race because of the resurrection power of Jesus. Okay, so because Satan was defeated... You can live in victory. But then number three, the third practical application of the resurrection. Because fear was rebuked, hope is restored. Because fear is rebuked, hope is restored. We are often afraid of the unknown. Just simply because it is unknown. We don't know what to anticipate. We don't know how to feel about it because it is the unknown. We're kind of like the five-year-old boy. His name was Johnny and his mother asked him to go into the pantry and to get a can of tomato soup. And Johnny responded back to his mother and said, Mom, I'm not going in there. It's dark and I'm scared. And Johnny's mother said to him, Johnny, you don't have to be afraid. Jesus is in the pantry. Jesus will be in the pantry there with you. Johnny looked inside the pantry and he yelled out and he said, Jesus, if you're in there, would you hand me out a can of tomato soup? (laughs) Well, I've got good news for you today. Wherever you go, Jesus is going to be there. He's promised that He'll never leave us, that He'll never fail us, that He'll never forsake us. And even when you face the dark times of life, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for He's with you. Jesus is going to be with you every step of the way. He rebukes fear. We see that He did it in this passage of Scripture. The angel in verse 5 said to the women, Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Do you realize that that command to not be afraid or something similar to that, do not be afraid, fear not, the different forms in which it appears, it appears 365 times in the Bible. Once For every day of the year. It's like every day. God is reminding us, you don't have to be afraid. And even at the tomb of Jesus, when they came in fear, believing that, yes, Jesus had died, what were they going to do? What was their future going to be like? Then all of a sudden, fear is rebuked. Do not be afraid. And hope is restored. Look at it in verse 6. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. Fear is rebuked and hope is restored. Some of you today may be living in fear at this very moment. You may be wondering how that diagnosis that you just received from the doctor, how all that's really going to turn out. You may be wondering how things are going to go on your job. Things have seemed kind of unsettled. Some of you may be concerned about your family. Some of you may be concerned, uh, as many are, about situations in our nation and in our world that we're dealing with and it's so easy to just allow a spirit of fear to come in and to kind of grip our hearts but I want to tell you one of the things about Easter one of the things about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that Jesus rebukes our fears so that he can restore the hope in our lives I am glad that we serve a God who is able to take every Calvary and turn it into an Easter Sunday morning. I mean, the disciples were in in despair. They were in discouragement because the Savior that they had followed, that they had put their confidence in, they watched Him die upon the cross, but they forgot. They forgot at least momentarily. That Jesus said that He would rise again. And when they went to the tomb there, they found it was empty because Jesus had been resurrected. He can turn every Calvary into an Easter Sunday morning. God can take every empty tomb and turn it into triumph in your life. God can take every one of your question marks and He can turn them into uh, exclamation points. He is that powerful. He wants to restore the hope in your life. Sometimes we don't see the full picture, do we? We just see a part of it. But we need to get the full message of Easter. After the British General Wellington defeated Napoleon at Waterloo, the news of that victory was announced to the British by means of a ship, a British ship, that was just off the shore and they were using signal flags to to display the message that that Wellington had had won. And so the message that they were giving out in the signal flags uh, was to say Wellington defeated the enemy. But they got through the first two words. Wellington defeated... And then fog rolled in and the people could not see the rest of the message that was displayed. And so for a while people were in panic. They were in turmoil and in despair because they felt that, that their country had been defeated, that their great British general, Wellington, that he had been defeated. But then, all of a sudden, the fog cleared out of the way and the rest of the message was complete. Wellington defeated the enemy. And I'm here to say on this Easter Sunday morning... That the full message of Easter is that Jesus not only defeated the enemy of death, but He has defeated every enemy that you'll ever face, ever face. Every enemy that I will ever face have been defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Because fear was rebuked, hope is restored. But then number four. The fourth practical application of the resurrection that I want you to see and to carry with you today is this. Because the stone was rolled away, truth can be revealed. Because the stone was rolled away, truth can be revealed. Now, Pilate did everything he could do to try to secure the tomb of Jesus. We read about it prior to our text this morning in, in Matthew 27, uh, verses 62 and following. Just l- listen to what it says. This is what Pilate commanded. He said, Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest its disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, He's risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your own way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Pilate saw to it that there were three security precautions taken at the tomb of Jesus. First of all, there was the stone, a huge stone that sealed the mouth of the tomb, a stone that would have weighed about two tons. So there's a stone that was placed in front of the tomb to seal it. And then there was the Roman seal itself that was placed on a tomb. This consisted of a cord that was stretched across the rock bearing the official signet of Rome. Breaking the Roman seal was punished by death, by crucifixion, upside down. And so no one wanted to break a Roman seal. But to get inside the tomb, uh, you would have to have broken the seal. So there was the stone, there was the Roman seal, and then there was a third security precaution, and that is the Roman soldiers, the Roman soldiers who were there. Now a lot of times in the pictures that we've seen of Roman soldiers, when we were growing up in Sunday school, they would have these pictures of uh, the soldiers at the tomb. uh, They didn't look very uh, fierce, uh, they didn't look very intimidating because to me as a little boy, it just looked like two men standing there in miniskirts holding wooden spears. That's what it looked like. And I thought, my goodness, that's, that's not very intimidating uh, for anybody. But then later on, I learned as I studied about Roman soldiers and those placed at the tomb, they were an elite group of fighting men. These Roman soldiers were a security force. This detail that went to the tomb of Jesus that often these soldiers, there would be four to sixteen of them and they were trained each to protect six feet of ground that was around them. And for them to fail to protect the ground, to flee from their assignment would be punishable by death, by burning at the stake. And so, Pilate was absolutely serious about securing the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. But on that third day, the Bible tells us in our text in verse 2, that an angel came and rolled back that two-ton stone, broke the Roman seal, Rolled the stone away. And we're told in verse number 6 that the angel said, He's not here. He's risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. The stone was rolled away, not to let Jesus out, but to let an unbelieving world look in and to see that the tomb is actually empty. Now one of the things that you learn when you go over to Israel, to the Holy Land, is that there are two different places that they say could be the burial tomb of Jesus. There's one of those tombs that is uh, located inside uh, what's known as the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Some of you may have seen Things about that on the History Channel and so forth. And the other probable location is uh, what is known as the Garden Tomb or Gordon's Calvary. And so people wonder for sure, okay, which place? Which place was was Jesus buried and, and which place did he rise from? Hey, here's the good news I've got for you today. Just recently, within the past few months... I've been to both of those tombs, and guess what? They're both empty. (laughs) Nobody's there. Jesus Christ has been resurrected, and, and, and the tomb, the stone was rolled away so an unbelieving world could look in and see that Jesus has been risen from the dead. The writer of the book of Acts, Luke, tells us that Jesus attested to, his resurrection was attested to by many infallible proofs. We see that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. Many infallible proofs. We, we could go on and on about all those proofs. Uh, that that is a study of biblical apologetics, the defense of the faith, and there's so much of that that is related to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But let me just mention a few of those infallible proofs very quickly as we draw this to a close. Number one, it's the empty tomb itself. That's an infallible proof. All the theories that attempt to explain away the resurrection Do not even attempt to deny that the tomb was indeed empty. It was empty. That is beyond argument. The empty tomb is an infallible proof. And then there are the personal appearances of Jesus. Over in the book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15 and verses 3 and following, uh, Paul talks about how Christ died by our sins according to the Scriptures. And then he was buried and he rose again on the third day. And then it says he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. And then he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Of whom the greater part remained to the present, uh, he says. And then he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles, and then last of all, he was seen by me as one born out of due time. All those personal experiences—over five hundred people at one time Jesus appeared to, uh, and as he was resurrected—that uh, means that uh, out of the, that twice the number, roughly. Uh, of the people here today in this building, twice as many as are here saw the resurrected Jesus Christ at one time as they looked upon his resurrected body. There's the empty tomb, personal appearances, and then their changed lives. Those disciples' lives were changed. Those who fled as cowards now became convinced of the Christian faith and who Jesus was, and they preached, and most of those disciples died a death as a martyr. And then think of Paul himself, the church's greatest murderer, became the church's greatest missionary as a result of his encounter with Christ on the Damascus Road. And then last of all, An infallible proof that I cannot deny, and if you're a Christian, you certainly can't deny it either. It's the proof of the fact that He's changed my life. And He's changed your life. And that is the message of Easter today. I love the hymn that says, you ask me how I know He lives? He lives within my heart. He lives there today. And I pray that you're a Christian and that he lives in your heart too. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can know him. But it's very important that you understand the resurrection enough that you believe in the resurrected Christ. Because Jesus said it, or or Paul, the apostle, said it this way in Romans 10 and verse 9. And this is how to be saved, right in this verse. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's an opportunity to get to know Him today. By responding to this invitation coming forward and, and, and saying that you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And by doing so, you are stating that you believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and you want Him to live inside of your life. I'm going to ask that we bow our heads together for prayer. Pastor William will be here at the front to help in leading in the time of invitation Uh, We're going to have a song of invitation, and we invite you today to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him as your Savior if you've never done so. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, I pray that in these next few minutes that you will reach out to us where we are. I pray that you will challenge us, Lord, convict us by your Holy Spirit, and show people the way unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for Calvary. We thank you for Jesus who died there for us and for the fact that the tomb is empty. He was resurrected to prove that he is indeed the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray now that you will help those who don't know Christ to come to know you in this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together and as we prepare for this song of invitation, let the Holy Spirit speak. Let Him lead. Will you follow Him in the decision He would have you make today? Come as we sing.